Spring Community Church hosts Matt Ayers of Wesley Biblical Seminary as he presents a sermon series on spiritual warfare. Today is session six of seven, titled Demons and Their Activities, part two. Well, it's good to be back. Time flies, doesn't it? A week's gone by already, and it's been a good week for me. I hope y'all have had a good week, and I spent the good part of today preparing for actually the next lesson. Uh, the next lesson is inner healing and deliverance, which I think that you've actually picked up in the back there. And um, what we're going to do in terms of our layout and plan and strategy for the rest of our time together, we have this week and we have next week, and then that's it, week six, week seven. We didn't finish last week's lesson, and last week's lesson we're going to finish tonight, and when that's done, we're going to start into next week's lesson, and then next week, we're going to finish next week's lesson. <laughs> so um, the, the lesson that we have to finish tonight is demons and their activities. We're going to look at activities that the demonic promotes. We started into this, but we didn't finish it, and we're also going to talk about common myths about the demonic and about demons, and that's going to set us up for our final lesson, which again, you now have the notes for, and um, it's kind of like where the rubber meets the road. It's a matter of engaging in battle and the inner healing that has to come before actual deliverance. And I'm going to walk through what even a deliverance session could look like, one version of what a deliverance session could, lo could look like in our final session together uh, next week. So, um, Without further ado, I just want to review really quickly some of the points that we touched on from last week in terms of demons and their activities. The outline of the lesson was uh, what we can know about the powers of darkness uh, was the first thing that we treated. The second was, was the types of ground-level spirits. Do you all remember the different types of ground-level spirits? There's three. Yep, family spirits or familial spirits, occult spirits, and finally, it's just ordinary spirits. We're going to look in more detail about at ordinary spirits because they're the most common. Which, which, which of these kinds of spirits are the strongest and hardest to, to get rid of, to remove? Family spirits, right? And, and actually, those are in order. So the strongest is family, second is occult, third is ordinary. Ordinary spirits are spirits that are usually attached to just emotional damage and sin. So spirits of anger, spirits of lust, spirits of addiction, spirits of resentment, spirits of bitterness, spirits of death, spirits of suicide, spirits of etc. etc. Those would be ordinary spirits. And then familial spirits would be different than that. So again, we're going to go into more detail on those. And it's important to know these different spirits when it comes to the actual moment of deliverance, when we get to that moment after the inner healing, when we get to the moment of deliverance, to be able to identify what it is that we're working with. It's almost like a proper diagnosis so that we can know how to deal with it and what to do to deal with it. So uh, that's why it's important. It's not simply that it's interesting, but that it actually gives us tools so that we can be more effective in, in arriving at what we're after, which is ultimately healing for the sake of effectiveness for ministry, right? So, uh, different types of spirits, uh, six ways demonizations, demonization occurs, and that's where we stopped. We haven't actually got into that, and that's what we're going to start into now, is the six ways that demonization occurs. So, I'm not sure, because I don't have that handout uh, in front of me, what page that is. Can someone tell us what page we're on there? Second page. Okay, so page two. Let me find where I am in my notes. Three levels of ground-level spirits. Uh, let's see. Okay. Yes, six ways demonization occurs. So go ahead and hit the next slide for me. 
The first way is through conscious invitation. Conscious invitation. Demons can enter a person by conscious invitation. A conscious invitation happens whenever there's a deliberate involvement with worship, that's should say with or, just say with worship of God's, thank you, spirits or powers other than the true God. This can happen through participation in non-Christian religions and or occult organizations. This would include Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age, Scientology, Freemasonry, Mormonism, Christian science, Jehovah's Witnesses, occult organizations, which would be things like satanic temples, leaders of New Age groups, fortune tellers, uh, psychics, that psychic shouldn't have an H in there, or witches. Man, this thing is just loaded with um, typos. Sorry, I I just type really fast, and I go, okay, slide done, let's move on. So psychics and witches. Um, Here's an interesting story I told Jess and Moy, I think, last week is I'm thinking of this with regard to fortune tellers. Um, Have you ever uh, driven by a place that's got a palm reader advertisement in the window? You ever notice that those people are never rich? (laughs) Well, that's odd. It's like, well, if you can really do this, I shouldn't need to pay you for services because you should be so loaded with money that you don't need the money because you know what the lottery numbers are going to be and you have an advantage, right? So the obvious deception right out front. Um, But in any case, I I read of a story once of there was a church bus taking a group to some mission trip, and the church bus or van broke down in front of a palm reader's location. It's usually in someone's house, right? And um, they were sitting there for a time, waiting on the van to get repaired and to get back on the road. And... and, uh, while they were sitting there, they were singing hymns and praying and doing the good things that church people do. And, and the palm reader came out just infuriated to the bus, to the van, and said, y'all got to move this bus. Said, well, why? He said, because I cannot communicate with my spirits with y'all parked out here. God. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But uh, some of it's fake. Some of it's palm readers just faking it, and it's, it's just tricks, you know, but some of it is real. Now, we talked in the past about why we don't do those things in false guidance, because when it is real, they're depending on spirits, supernatural, preternatural beings that are fallen angels or disembodied spirits of the giants, and their goal is to destroy you. So the advice they're going to give you is for your perdition, not for your well-being. For your well-being. We talked about that. So conscious invitation. Now, one more comment before moving on to the second way. When we say conscious invitation, let's say that you're a part of a Jehovah's Witnesses or you were... Uh, a Muslim or something like that, and you're worshiping Allah, for example. And you may not specifically invite a spirit to come in and attach to you to become demonized, and I don't mean possessed, and we haven't gone into too much detail about the difference between possession and attachment and demonization, but when we say conscious, it doesn't necessarily mean, go Jayhawks, it doesn't necessarily mean that you said, spirit, I want you to come but that you've opened yourself for whatever the impulse of the universe may be, may be, and that's dangerous. So in other words, it could happen through a conscious invitation, through conscious act of worship or submission to a certain power that's at work within the organization without a specific invitation to a specific spirit. So conscious invitation. Now, 
I want to pause here and also say this as we're going to work through the next five ways. You're going to go, maybe I'm demonized and maybe I'm not. I don't know. Um, the point is, when we get to the bottom line, is getting rid of them. That's the point. So, um, and the Holy Spirit helps us to identify what the disruption is, is, if there's a disruption or a lack of healing is. So even if you don't know how the Spirit got there or why it's there, let's say you have a family spirit and you don't know how it got there, through which generation, which side, mom's side, or let's say there's, we're going to look at soul ties, soul ties that are connected between individuals that can happen through a number of different ways, and you're going, I didn't know that there was a soul tie there. That's okay, the Holy Spirit's going to help identify this for us. The reason we go through these different ways people could get demonized is to just give us some clarity as to how possibly this could have happened. So, okay, so that's the first way. Second way, through unconscious invitation. Unconscious invitation is more subtle than conscious invitation. Demons gain, right, gain rights when some, someone wallows in negative attitudes, usually in re reaction to some difficult experience. This includes, but is not limited to shame, guilt, bitterness, resentment, rage, depression, fear, worry, hatred, rebellion, rejection, abandonment, control, and sexual sins. So it's not as explicitly stated here as I'd like for it to be, but unconscious invitation can also be habitual sin. We continue to practice a sin intentionally. It's like a, a beautifully lit runway for the demons to come in. When you do this, when we do this, when we wallow in sinful attitudes or negative emotions, or when we continue to practice sin, unrepentant sin, um, attachments can happen that way. So demonization can occur through unconscious invitation. Um, something interesting, <clears throat> I had COVID like three times. And my lungs still aren't right. So if you hear me, keep trying to catch my breath. And it's strange, like sometimes I'm perfectly fine. Most of the time I'm perfectly fine, but some days I just can't seem to catch my breath. And today is one of those days. So sorry. Um, testimony of people who used to be a part of sa uh, satanic covens. Do you know what a coven is? Have you heard that term before? It means like a group or club, right? And they're usually targeted towards young people. And uh, the story is, it's a, it's a guy that converted out of it, and he became like a, a high priest inside of the temple of Satan and all this stuff. But um, it was a bunch of kids uh, in middle school, high school, hanging out at this house uh, of a couple, unmarried couple, two adults. And they had big screen TVs, and this was kind of like late 90s, so we didn't, you know, it was big screen TVs. Uh, video games, uh, uh, arcade games in the basement, swimming pool, uh, pornography kind of laying around. It was like, come and do whatever you want. And all the kids loved it there because they got to do whatever they want. And they'd come and they'd hang out. And, and this kid kept coming and he grew friends there and participating in activities for weeks and then months. And then he heard someone say that it, it was a satanic coven. And that confused, what you, satanic coven? He said, yeah, you're a part of that satanic coven. He goes, what do you mean you're a part of the satanic coven? So he went to the d adults who were, whose house it belonged to and he said, I heard this is a satanic coven. They go, yeah, it is. Do you want to become a member? And he said, sure, what do I have to do? He goes, actually, you've already done nine out of the ten things. Doing it and participating it without even a conscious awareness of what's going on, right? It's deception. And so when we look at this unconscious invitation, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Now, remember, those of us in Christ, our life is hidden in Christ, and we're not vulnerable to these things if 
We're walking healthily in Christ and have intimacy with Christ. What I mean is we're not practicing habitual sins, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to heal us of our wounds. But when we're resisting the Holy Spirit's work in convicting us of sin, and when we're resisting the Holy Spirit's work in healing us, that can be dangerous territory. So let's keep going. Way three, through addictive behavior. Repeatedly giving in to temptations give room to demonic stronghold. Addictions, including pornography, alcohol, drugs, gambling, self-rejection. Notice that self-rejection, self-hatred, condemnation, envy, and jealousy can be addictive attitudes. Repeatedly giving in to these temptations can cause demonization. Um, yeah, and there's, a lot, there's a lot of study that's done uh, within deliverance ministry places about addiction, and they're discovering that nine out of ten addictions have to do with the demonic, because the devil loves to keep us in strongholds, right? He wants us to keep us bound and enslaved to something, something. So addictive behavior. So just to repeat here really briefly, first is through conscious invitation, through unconscious invitation, through addictive behavior, for through inheritance. Demons can be passed through bloodlines. They can live in people whose parents and or grandparents were in non-Christian religions, witchcraft, or occult organizations. I was talking to um, another Christian woman this past, just last week, and um, I think she's demonized. She thinks she's demonized. We talked for a while, and, um, and she, I said, well, when did your torment begin? She said, I was fine, and then all of a sudden, I started experiencing all this torment, uh, you know, Oh, and she explained to me what the torment was. I won't go into the details here. And she said, you know, what's interesting is that the torment began as soon as my mom died. My mom passed away, and then the torment started. The demonic torment began. And it's possible in that scenario that there was a, a family bloodline attachment with her mom that then passed on to hear her once her mom passed away. It's, it's not necessarily the case, but it's possible. And we need to investigate that as a possibility, that there is a family bloodline attachment happening. So they can live in, oh yeah, we read this. So this is through inheritance. This is why um, in doing deliverance sessions, um, we have, oftentimes it's just really prudent to ask about family background. Um, Were your parents Christians? If not, were they involved in the occult? Were they involved in any other world religions? My grandmother went to palm readers all the time. (laughs) You know, and, and you would think, I don't know about Clinton, but where I'm from, there's a lot of first generation Christians. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but there are a lot of people. That you'd be surprised how common this is, how common witchcraft is. It's, it's, where I'm from in New Jersey, it's alive and it's well. And again, I don't know about here. But a lot of people that I talk to that come to me and say, they think I may be demonized. And I just began to ask questions. Okay, tell me, why are you here? What are your symptoms? When did they begin? Tell me about your upbringing. You know, what was your upbringing like? And tell me about mom and dad. All right, now tell me about grandparents. We don't have to go very far to find some involvement with the occult. Um, and that could be even just in world religions or occult organizations. When I said the occult, it's not necessarily Satanism. Um, so, inheritance. Six. Oh, and I missed five, by the way. <laughs> you notice it went from four to six. And there's a reason for this. Uh, the major resource that I'm using for this material is a book called uh, Evangelicals Guide to Spiritual Warfare by Charles Kraft. He has six listed, but one of them I didn't like. So I, I cut it out and I limited it to five, and I just forgot to change the numbers around. 
So, um, so this should say five curses. Curses are hateful words aimed at a person. Uh, this is a little bit of a, a, a loose definition of a curse. Um, even yourself, cursing yourself. Sometimes curses are formalized through rituals, including vows, oaths, pact-making, spells, and hexes. Um, another story. There was another woman. It's, it's funny, most of the people that come to me are women about uh, possible demonization. And um, what we're going to talk about in the next section with inner healing and deliverance is you never do this alone. You always have at least one other person there with you and bathing in prayer and discernment and all these sorts of things. But nonetheless, I was talking to her. She thought she may be demonized. And I started to ask kind of the diagnostic questions. Tell me about your upbringing and all those things, going through the motions. Any involvement with the occult that you know of in your family? No. And she goes, oh, wait, my ex-husband said, well, tell me about that. She goes, well, one time I went to my mother-in-law's house and I walked in on her and she was actually performing a ritual, casting a curse on me at, at the kitchen table, like caught her performing a black magic curse on her daughter-in-law, you know? So this stuff is, if, if you may be sitting there as, I, I wasn't really exposed to this kind of stuff before Haiti. It's real and it's out there. Has anyone else had experience with this kind of stuff? Okay. So not a ton. And I can assure you, for those of you who don't have experience, that it is real. So when you're saying, he's making oaths and vows and curses, they may be. I know in Haiti, witch doctors' job is to curse churches. And they do all they can to disrupt church activity and disrupt the lives, especially of the leaders of the church. They're not concerned with the people who ain't doing nothing for the gospel. They're going to go after the people who are effective. Okay. Yes, ma'am, Shirley. Shirley, you can. No, I didn't. I did not. So, yep, uh, did I give a definition of demonization and torment? I did not. Um, so let me do that really quickly. Usually, we think about um, act activities of demons as possession, and that is extremely rare. Possession is really, really rare. And it usually only happens in events, in, in cases in which you have people who are high up in the occult, satanic temples, uh, voodoo, witchcraft, sorcery. Um, and possession means that the spirit has full control of the person. And that, again, is very, very rare. In fact, in Haiti, I'm seeing a lot of new faces tonight. So those of you that I say in Haiti, I was a missionary in Haiti for 13 years, and that's why I'm referencing it. Um, in, in Haiti, when a witch doctor is doing their work, when they conjure a spirit, they, they talk about the spirit mounting them. That's the language that they use. And the imagery that we have here is like someone riding a horse. And what they're saying, what they're comparing the experience to is that they conjure a spirit and invite the spirit to mount them as if they're the horse and the spirit is controlling them. And that, again, is very, very rare. Um, however, demonic attachments, and you've heard me use that word, attachment, is much more common, and we just refer to this as demonization. And in fact, that's more accurate in terms of the explanation behind the Greek in the New Testament when it's talking about demon-possessed people in the New Testament, a lot of our English Bible would say demon-possessed, but the Greek word is really demonized. They were demonized. 
And usually, as I've implied all along, what is demonization? It's a particular attachment. It's a particular area of our lives in which there is usually a legal right or ground for the demon to be present inside of a person or outside of a person. And there's a difference between inside and outside. And what gives demons legal rights? There are several things that give demons legal rights, and this is important when doing demonization because we often find that when and we don't, typically don't use the language casting out, we say removing or kicking out demons, kind of like squatters on land that they have no right to stay on, um, that the ones who are there without any legal right go very, very easily, but the ones who are there with legal right are much harder to, to remove, and you have to determine what the legal right is the ground on which that demonization occurs. And what we've been talking about all along are some of those grounds. Familial spirits, let's say a grandma, an aunt, or whoever, a mom or a parent especially, uh, made some kind of oath or pact or dedication or was involved in an occult organization or someone cast a spell and that needs broken. Um, Habitual sin is another ground or right. And so when we talk about... um, canceling the rights. We're talking about reclaiming the ground on which the attachment stands. Um, uh, I've worked with someone recently who um, there was uh, unforgiveness, and that's usually the biggest sin, by the way, that is is the cause for demonization. It's the number one most common. Um, Why won't this demon go? And we're telling it to go. Well, they have... Sorry, I'm still not sure about that. Why won't they go when we've told them to go? Um, Because there's an unrepentant sin here. Well, what's the unrepentant? She hasn't forgiven her sister, or she hasn't forgiven her father, or he hasn't forgiven this. And and once we get the person to forgive the person, and that healing occurs, that demon weakens. And so the attachment then is like loosed, and they can be freed from that. So demonization, that's kind of the best way I can describe it. Um, and then there's a second part. Have you d- defined, oh, harassment or torment? Torment and harassment I see as synonymous, and it can manifest in a number of ways. It can be very explicit and ugly, or it can be subtle, like a dripping water on your forehead kind of a thing. Um, so torment and harassment can come in the form of temptation. Uh, that's one of the main uh, forms. Y- you've all experienced this, because I've experienced this, and we're all humans here and where everything is going along swimmingly and all of a sudden temptation is in your face and hot and heavy. We've all experienced it. Whether it's, it it could be any number of things and we know the kind of things that we're tempted by. Um, So temptation is one form of torment Um, because here's how this goes. You get tempted and if they get, if you respond and you actually sin, then now they have grounds to blame you. And, and, and then the cycle, right? Look, you're a sinner. Look what you've done. Uh, you're supposed to be obedient to Jesus, and you've sinned. Don't you feel terrible? You're not who Jesus says that you are, all that. Even if you don't sin, though, look at you tempted by this. You should have purer thoughts than this. So don't you have your anger under control yet? Come on. So torment. It's never just temptation. It always leads to something else. Um, worry is another form. Um, placing ideas in our minds. Um, Rumors, deceit, slander. Do you see how so-and-so is looking at you over there? Or do you see the way that 
that happened over there. Media is a huge form of torment because it's a stimulus for worry. And we could go on and on about harassment and torment. Uh, so those are some of the more subtle ways, temptation, worry. Um, another form of torment, somebody asked me this question last night, actually, so it's fresh in my mind. Another um, common form of torment is physical illness. I experience this all the time. Uh, it's probably the number one form for me as I get sick, when I'm getting ready to do something that the powers of darkness don't want me to do. And it's usually the form of nausea and um, extreme fatigue. Almost, when I was in Haiti, almost every single time it was time for me to preach, I would be so exhausted I could barely lift. I'd be sitting on the stage getting ready to preach, and I could barely lift my head, just completely exhausted. And we're worshiping, and I'm praying, but then when it's time, the Holy Spirit lifts you right up, and you get up there, and you it's, it's tremendous. So that's another form of torment is physical illness. And there are others. Go ahead. Right. How do we know when it's, yeah, how do we know when it's demonic and how do we know when it's just natural explanations, right? Or maybe it's not just natural. Maybe it's just that we haven't put to death the flesh, right? Okay, so there is an answer. How do we know? How do we, back to the epistemology question. How do we, do, how do we figure out if what's going on, if, if my worry, maybe I should be worried because I'm spending too much money on my internet, you know what I mean? Or maybe I'm sick because I ate bad that day has nothing to do with the demonic. How do we know? The first way that we know is by Holy Spirit discernment. Holy Spirit discernment. You, you just pray it through and you ask someone else to pray it through with you. Um, that's, that's the easy kind of first step. Um, I always assume that it's not in every case. If there's something weird going on, and we're getting ready to talk about the nine activities that demons promote, I go, well, how do we know that's a demon? I always give it is the last possible option. I always assume it's natural all the way down. It's like, okay, now we have no, you know, it was, when was that? Last winter, Dr. Freeman, uh, twice a year we have our doctoral students on campus at WBS. And uh, otherwise, it's just us in the building. Students really typically aren't in the building. And the power went out in the building. Just went out. There's no power in the building. It's like, good grief. What happened? Did it just a squirrel get into the transformer or what's going on here? And uh, so I'm running around looking at the transformers around the building and calling the power company, and my wife calls. In the middle, of, like within a 10-minute time period of the power in the building going out, and then my wife calling. She goes, the power's out at the house. And we live 15 miles, not that far, 8 miles from the building. It's a 12-minute drive. And the Holy Spirit went, pray. And I started praying. And within the hour, power came back on within both places. And I believe that that was because the, whole, the Holy Spirit said, pray, just stop and pray. Now, here's the other thing about this before talking more about how do we know if it's demonic or just natural. I just always throw the kitchen sink at it. Pray, no matter what's going on, pray. Is it going to hurt you to pray more and to fast more and to worship more? Just pray. You don't feel good, pray. You know? So if you're tempted, pray. So um, another way... Um, of discerning if it's demonic or natural. Okay, there's three categories that we usually look at as like a, like a rubric or like a, like a grid for determining these things. 
<clears throat> there are three things that cause problems in our lives. Three sources of, of evil is another way to look at it. One is the demonic. That's a possibility. The other is the flesh. It could be that you're tempted because you keep sinning and you just haven't repented. That has nothing to do with the devil. Spiritual warfare is the last thing to make you go, the devil made me do it. That's not what we're after here. You know, it's not licensed to keep sinning because I'm not responsible. Is it possible that you're tormented because you just keep sinning? Instead of going, well, this is the devil's fault. No, it's your fault. You're laying in the bed that you made here. And God can rescue you from it, but you made some bad choices. You slept with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. Like that, that's not the devil. That's you and your flesh. Have you crucified the flesh? Right? So we that's the that's so demons, the flesh, and then the world. The world around us is evil. It's it's it says that it's his world. He it's the God of this world, the God of the air, the prince of the air. And so all kinds of things in the world are automatically pitted against the church and Christians. Remember we talked about the meta-narrative of Scripture and how the, the devil's primary aim is the seed who is to destroy him. While all the evil in the world is concentrated not just on creating chaos, but on stamping out the church. And so there's world systems out there trying to go after us. So the flesh demons, and the world is typically how we, and we go, okay, well, what's going on here exactly? Is it one of those things? But the Holy Spirit and discernment is a, so let's do this. Let's keep going and look at um, activities that demons promote. Number one, disruption. Demons aggravate existing situations. They push, they prod, they tempt, and entice people to make poor or unwise decisions. Be really careful about impulsive decisions, even spending your money. Be careful about doing things on impulse. They work to make bad things worse and get people to overdo things so that once good things are no longer positive. They like to aggravate. Number two, Temptation. Obviously, Satan tempted Eve and Jesus. It seems they can put ideas in people's minds and tempt in areas of greatest vulnerability. The devil's not going to tempt you in areas that you know you're not going to capitulate. He knows you're not going to give in. He's going to go after you in areas you know you're weak. Now, can they read our minds? I don't believe so because they're not omniscient. Um, There's different views, but the vast majority of views on this is that demonic cannot read our minds but they can guess what we're thinking because I can guess what you're thinking <laughs> just by n- knowing body posture, facial expression, uh, the context of what's going on around us. Like my son, Ben, doesn't speak Creole. I don't know how much Creole he understands. His nanny in Haiti, who he went and visited last week, um, doesn't speak English and they communicate perfectly because they know what each other means because we don't communicate with just words. They can read each other's actions, motions, context is everything. So while they can't read our minds, um, they can guess usually what we're thinking. And it seems as if the devil can, or let's say the powers of darkness, put ideas inside of our minds. Um, Now this obviously comes through these, TV and other things, Um, but ideas out of nowhere too. 
Um, there's consistent reporting for people in deliverance ministry of um, sometimes it's audible um, hearing words, but most of the time it's just ideas that run through. The, you're not worthy, you're unclean, you're ugly, uh, all kinds of whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Well, where did that come from? That may be your flesh. That may be that you haven't forgiven so-and-so for abusing you. That may, that may, but it may also be demonic putting thoughts in our minds. So temptation. Keep going. Hiddenness. Demons like to stay hidden. They want people to think they don't exist. Being aware that a problem is demonic is more than half the battle, which is why every Wednesday when it's time to come out for this, you can think of a reason not to come. Right? This is why I get sick every time it's time to teach, teach, teach spirit, because he wants, the devil likes to keep our mouth shut, right, Lauren? Where's Lauren's here somewhere? Yeah, right? He wants to keep our mouth shut. It's interesting. They don't want us to think, they want us to think that they don't exist. Um, it's also interesting, I'm going to jump to something we're going to talk about the next session. In deliverance sessions, um, and calling to attention the demonic if there are demons present inside of a person, um, a lot of times they won't answer. They'll stay quiet because they don't want to be discovered. Um, and, and that's not always altogether bad, um, but a lot of times just because they don't manifest doesn't mean they're not there because they don't want to manifest. They don't want you to know. And a lot of times too, they'll leave quietly because they don't want you to know. So a lot of times you think in a deliverance session it's going to be this knockdown, drag out battle where you know, you hear stories about demons leaving through coughing and vomiting and all this stuff. And, and that does happen, but it's much more likely that the demon's going to leave quietly because it's embarrassing for them to be cast out. So um, just because you think, I don't feel any different, give it time. You may notice that you're free and it's been subtle. Now, sometimes it is dramatic and there is a distinct feeling of something left me. You can feel it, but sometimes it's subtle, and you don't realize till things have been different since that night or since that session, right? So, hiddenness. Fear. Demons want us, this is, again, nine activities demons promote. They want us to fear them. It keeps us under their control. Demons can be greatly weakened through repentance and inner healing. They are not to be feared. You hear me? Demons are not to be feared. They're scared of you. We're the elephants. They are the mice. And the Holy Spirit can give you that confidence and courage and perfect love casts out all fear, says John. Deceit, it's a big one, one of the primary strategies of the demonic. They lie about people and about God. They also slander. There's a difference between slander and lying. What's the difference? Or excuse me, there's a difference between slander and talking bad about someone. The difference is slander is a lie. Slander is when someone says something about someone that's not true. It's not just saying something that is true about someone that's bad. That's one thing. If it is true, but if it's not true, so this is Genesis 3, right? God, did God really say, don't eat of this tree? You know why he said that? He doesn't want you to be like him. That's slander, because that's not true. It's an accusation that's false. So lying. Their lies can be direct or contradictions or sometimes indirect questioning of truth. Did God really say? Is this really 
do you really believe this? Is Jesus really God? Indirect questioning. Or it can be direct contradictions to something that you know is true. I was uh, working with someone, and uh, they're really struggling with the assurance of salvation, knowing that they're saved. And this person says to me, and the other person there with me, of course, as I said, we always do this never alone, um, I know that Christ can forgive me, but I can't forgive me. It's like, okay, think about this for a moment. If Christ can forgive you, but you can't, you're making yourself greater than Christ, right? You see that, right? Yeah, I see that. I just can't, I just can't get there. I don't know that he can forgive me. Well, that's a lie because Scripture makes it clear that Christ's blood is sufficient for all sin. There's no sin that he can't atone for. Now you're thinking, well, what about when Jesus says every sin could be forgiven except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Someone who's worried about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit doesn't have to worry about it. If you're worried about it, you don't have to worry about it. It's a different question for a different day. Deceit. Hindrance. Demons want to stop the advance of the gospel and the spreading of the kingdom of God. They hinder Christians from effectiveness in ministry. We've touched on this. Not non-Christinas, but non-Christians from receptivity from the gospel. I need to check these more carefully. They will attack Christians to keep them in church or attending Bible study, small group, or any place where grace is dispensed into their lives. They push to make our minds wander to distract from sermons or edifying messages. We've all experienced this. And Pastor Matt's not in the room right now, so you can be honest with me. Actually, he's in the back, so. <laughs> We've, I don't, it doesn't matter how good the speaker is. It happens to all of us where all of a sudden you realize you've just been checked out for the past 90 seconds. And when this happens to me, it happened to me past Sunday. It just happens. And sometimes it's just our fatigue and our flesh or whatever. I didn't sleep because, you know, my six-year-old got in the bed in the middle of the night and I'm just tired and but then I go, or is this the devil trying to prevent me from hearing something I really need to hear? I need to be attentive to that. So hindrance. Seven, accusation. Demons cripple through accusation. They whisper accusations of others and undermine relationships. They especially make accusations about God. Always give people the benefit of the doubt. If there's something that you're not sure about, assume the best of the person. Always assume the best of the person. Almost there. Eight, enablement. Demons enable compulsion or compulsions. They delight in helping people to develop a compulsive approach to both good and bad behavior. They encourage harmful compulsive behavior as well as overdoing good things like work, study, doctrinal purity, family achievement, etc. You can overdo good things. You can overdo good things. So enablement and compulsion. And lastly, nine, harassment. Demons want to disrupt our lives using whatever means possible. Traffic, weather, health, stress, relationships, sleep, eating habits, and even mechanical objects. Objects. I can tell you, I have so many. I have prayed over generators in Haiti countless times because they just stop working at the most critical moment. Stuff is constantly breaking down on that stinking island constantly. And every missionary I've ever talked to says there's no doubt that it's demonic because it there's no other way to explain the persistent breaking down of mechanical objects on that island. It is un, 
real. How many of you experienced this before? Disruption through these kinds of things. Every time I have a really important meeting, like especially a board meeting, which is like the most important meetings in my year, there's some sort of relationship disruption connected to me that's major. And it's always through the same people. Every time. And I'm thinking of the person right now. You don't know the person. Every time there's a really important moment, graduation at WBS, whatever it may be, I know that from that direction is going to come a major disruption. Something. Have you experienced this? That gets you all turned up inside and it's just a distraction from what God's trying to... Now, can it be the world? Can it be our flesh? All those? Yes, it could be. But these are activities that demons promote. Now, let me get through these common myths. Um, we'll go through those quickly and then we'll finish with questions. And then next week we'll get through inner healing and deliverance. Common myths about demons. People are possessed by demons, number one. There's a difference between demonization and possession. Possession is very rare. Demonization, however, is quite common. I talked about that just a moment ago in response to Shirley's question. There's a, there's a major difference. But possession does happen, but it's extremely rare. Deliverance always entails a fight. This is one of the lies of the enemy. Deliverance can come quietly and peacefully. Key to a calm deliverance is weakening the demonic through inner healing and repentance. Let me pause for a moment. We're getting ready to, especially in our last session, get into some wacky stuff. And remember our first lesson. Because even as I'm preparing, I'm going, do I really believe this? What deliverance actually looked like speaking to demons inside of people. Do you, don't forget our first session. Our first session of why the Christian worldview demands, necessitates belief in a personalized power of evil. And what the demonic is going to try to do is make you think, this is just whack job stuff, you don't really believe this. Don't forget the whole course of our study together, because we're going to get in some wacky territory. We're talking about, again, talking to demons and casting out demons and putting demons in boxes and all kinds of stuff. So just... Be prayerful, especially heading into next week. Are you with me? Number three, another myth. Demonization is simply psychological illness. The Bible is clear that demons are personalities. Some psychological illnesses are demon-related. Not all are. It's not always the case. Just like when you're sick, it doesn't mean if you have a cold, you just have a cold, right? Um, But... uh, it's not just psychological. You know, a lot of people would say Jesus casting out demons was just a, a form of an, a, a primitive form of dealing with mental illness. What he was doing was healing schizophrenia in someone. Um, now, I believe Jesus can heal uh, psychological illness and mental illness issues, but there are instances in the gospel where there is no doubt that it's personalized. Jesus didn't send a mental illness into a herd of pigs, right? I mean, Jesus always talked to them, silenced them, refused for them to speak, all these sorts of things. So they're, they're per- and we talked about what we can know about demons in this lesson. We said they're personalities. They have different personalities. Fourth myth. The demonized are guilty of spiritual rebellion. Ho, ho, ho. This is a big one that we've got to be clear on. A lot of people don't want to look this straight in the face because they think it could implicate them of if I have a demon, it's going, to, it's going to imply that I'm in sin. That's not necessarily the case. 
Demonization does not mean that you're guilty of something. It could. It could, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're guilty of something. Demonization can come from damaged emotions, pre-conversion sin, or even family spirits that have nothing to do with spiritual rebellion. I'm very aware that premarital sex is just very common in our culture, unfortunately. And I believe that that is one strategy for creating soul ties with people that we shouldn't be tied to. And when we get married, that tie could remain. And um, that would be pre-conversion sin. That you've repented from that, you're married now, and all that stuff, but is there a soul tie to the person that you were having sex with before your spouse? Or if you're in an adulterous relationship, you could be creating a soul tie with someone. And who knows what that person is piping into you. That's a, I, I just realized how bad that sounds in light of the context. <laughs> Forgive me. But that's how we envision it, is like wires or pipes that are connected to us that can channel through, to, but that's, you create a runway for that stuff when you're in sin, right? But pre-conversion sin, if you slept around with 30 people before you get married, you've created 30 soul ties to them and to their families. This is the laws of the metaphysical world. And so it could be that you've come out of that lifestyle, but you need to break the soul ties that you have with people. So it not, doesn't necessarily mean that if you're demonized, you're guilty of spiritual rebellion. Problems are either demonic, is another myth, five, problems are either uh, demonic or psychological. Our culture likes a one or the other mentality. It's possible that the, there are demonic causes behind psychological illnesses or that they simply use those illnesses to confuse and further destroy. It's not necessarily one or the other. Myth number six, all emotional problems are caused by demons. Most of the time what's necessary is crucifying the flesh, not deliverance from demons. So if you suffer with depression or anxiety, um, whatever, whatever the rage, anger, um, doesn't necessarily mean it's caused by demons. You just haven't been healed and you need to, to, to get at work, get to work on that. Because Jesus wants us to be whole. And I'm going to finish with that thought. Number seven, only those with special giftings can cast out demons. You can cast out a demon. You hear me? You hear me, but do you believe me? You absolutely can because they're weak and they lie and they're deceitful. And the Holy Spirit can use you to bring deliverance to another person. This is not outside of the realm of possibility. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and can be used by God to cast out demons. God does the work, not us. Demonization is uncommon in the West. Myth number eight. Demons like to stay hidden, as we've seen. They want us to think they're uncommon in the West, but they are prolific everywhere outside of the church and in some circumstances in the church. This is absolutely a myth. Demonization is common in the West. Myth number nine. The demons speak in a different, the demonized speak in a different voice. How many of y'all have heard this before? How many of y'all, this is the first time you ever thought, talked about spiritual warfare whatsoever? Okay. All right. Um, so one of the common myths is that the demonized speak in a different voice, that when you call to attention... Um, 
a demon inside of someone, that the way that they'll manifest is changing the person's voice. This does happen. And they also speak different languages, languages that the person has never spoken before. Even ancient dead languages they will speak. But it doesn't always happen. Um, I've never witnessed a voice change in dealing with demonized people. Um, what I have witnessed is demons using the person's voice. Their, the person's voice. Um, and normally it's an indicator of the strength of the demon. Um, you, can, you can detect the strength of the demon in the tone of the voice. And in the next session, we're going to talk about inner healing and deliverance. The bulk of the work is healing. Deliverance is the easy part. You weaken them tremendously by dealing with inner healing first. And so, um, and we never go immediately to um, deliverance before the inner healing occurs, because that's just going to create more problems. It's the story of Jesus. They go out and they come back with a ton more. So, um, demons can speak in other voices or languages, but this, isn't, this is not common because it reveals them. They want to stay hidden. They like to stay hidden. They can be behind the scenes and influence people to cause disruption. I might have told this story before, but I was working with a girl once who was a satanic ritual abuse victim. Do you know what that means? Satanic ritual abuse victim. It's kind of self-explanatory. So in the occult, there are rituals, and rituals are always abusive and denigrating to humans 100% of the time, and especially females. Well, why is that? Because he hates Eve and wants to kill her offspring. Well, you know what the number one satanic ritual abuse is, is rape, number one. And the whole point is, is to get the girl pregnant so that they can do an abortion. Because what they want to do is kill babies. That's the whole idea. And those, the women are known as breeders, and when they're no longer breeders, they're kicked out. They're done. They've got to bring a new breeder in. And this happens. I was dealing with a girl who was one of these. And um, I knew I was speaking to the demon, uh, but it was pretending to be her. And I knew, because the Holy Spirit made it really clear to me. I said, I'm not talking to her, am I? In my mind, the Holy Spirit said no. And she said, hey, go get so-and-so who's out in the hallway. They need to be in here. And I knew that person wasn't a Christian. And I had another woman in there with me. And, uh, and I didn't have to say any. I said, no, I'm not going to go get so-and-so, because I knew it was the demon I was talking to. And the woman with me, deeply, woman of God, said, honey, where two or three are gathered, and I'm here, and Matt's here. That means Jesus is here. We don't need anybody else. So, but it wasn't a change of voice. It wasn't but it wasn't her. I knew it wasn't her. So, inner voices are, sh uh, myth number 10, inner voices are sure evidence of demonization. Inner voices that cause torment and disorientation could be identity disassociative disorder. That's not disassociate, but disassociative disorder, or known as DID. It used to be called multi-personality disorder, but the psychologists have changed the name. Now it's identity disassociative disorder. Uh, I'll explain that here in a second. These can be related to demonic activity, but not necessarily so. All humans have different aspects of their personality that bring different perspectives into situations. This is common. It's calls for concern when the voices are harassing or tormenting the individual or disrupting daily life. We all have different components of who we are. You know, we all, you know, it depends on the context where we're hanging out. There's, there's party Janice and there's, there's cool Janice and there's the student Janice and there's there's, mom, there's mommy Janice, right? And it's common to have all these different perspectives kind of going on inside of us as we're navigating life. There's nothing bizarre about this, but it's when we have these different perspectives that 
that kind of seem like audible voices that are harassing us to the point where we can't carry on our normal life, and especially where we can't fully be the Christians that God is calling us to be. Identity disassociative disorder is when someone is an abuse victim, um, in order to keep it together and not experience, to get alleviation from the pain, they hide themselves inside of other personalities. Um, And that's how that works. And when it's really extreme, those personalities come to the front. And uh, yeah, so that's what, it's it's much more complex than that, but that's what's going on. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's demonization. It could be this very real disorder. Does anyone here know someone with identity disassociative disorder? You know someone with DID? Yeah. So, okay, it doesn't mean that you're demonized. It's It's a disorder. All right, so those are our myths. Um, I was going to try to start into inner healing, but we don't have time. And so here's what I want to do. I want to prepare for next week by sharing this idea as we're going to have communion together. And um, what does the word redemption mean? Okay, the price is paid and it's been brought back. Okay, it's kind of like the ransom theory, like a ransom. That's one way of looking at it. This is Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? This is ransom theory of atonement where we have Edward and we have Aslan, and Aslan says, look, I'm going to pay his ransom. He owes you, but I'm going to step in in his place and set him free. So he, Aslan pays the ransom. I talked about my conversation with the voodoo witch doctor, right? And he said, I can't become a Christian because if I do, the devil will kill me because I made a pact with him I owe my life. I said, it's the only way you're out. It's, only, it's your only way out of this because Jesus gave his life as a ransom for years. The price has been paid. It's one way of looking at redemption. The other way is putting back to right, restoring to what God originally intended. In Genesis 1, we have a formula for creation. It goes like this, and God said, and it was, and he saw that it was good and it was evening, and it was morning, day X. And God said, and it was, and he saw that it was good, and it was evening, it was morning, day Y. That's the formula. What does it mean when God says it's good? good. It doesn't mean it's morally good. What it means is it's what God intended. It's what he intended. So I play golf. I'm terrible at it. And I line up to hit the ball, and I have a very specific vision of what this is going to happen here. I'm going to hit the ball right there, and it's going to land in that spot. And if I do it, and, it's what, and what happens is what I intend, it's a, it's a good shot. But if it doesn't do what I intend, which it never does, it is not a good shot. Is anyone here an, an artist or a painter or a sculptor? When an artist paints a picture, they step back and go, now that's it when it turns out the way they intended it. Or when, when we preach sermons, and when it's done, we go, that was good. That turned out the way I intended it to turn out. And this is what ha- what's happening in Genesis when God says, now that's good. But what happened is sin came in, and now it's not good. This is not what God intended. And when being born in sin and having the disease of sin inside of us and as sinners, we are not what God intended. We're not what God intended. Now, Jesus is what God intended. Jesus is the true Adam. And when we talk about inner healing and deliverance, what are we talking about? Restoring what God always intended the you to be. God had an intention for every one of us, a perfect image 
And when we talk about all this stuff, we're talking about the restoration of what God always intended. You ever look at someone whose life is just in shambles and frayed and falling apart, whatever that looks like in your context, I look at those people and think, I wonder what they would look like in Jesus. In other words, as God intended them to be. And when we hang on to the emotional garbage and when we repeatedly sin, we're not what God intended. And this whole conversation, these past six weeks, is all about redemption. We're talking about getting back to what God always intended. And you know what? He can do it. There is no experience, a moment of abuse, damage, hurt, pain that He cannot heal and redeem turn into what he intends. That's what this is about. But how is that possible? This. This. God doesn't forgive us because we ask forgiveness. He forgives us because Jesus died. We tend to think he forgives us just because we ask. Because it says if you ask, he'll forgive you. But you know why? Because Jesus died in our place. By his wounds, we are healed and redeemed, put back. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of the creation. The Adam as Adam was always supposed to be. And our way back to that is through his life. And that's why we do this.